Welcome to the 31st Pearson Centre webinar on the broad theme of COVID and beyond and a conversation about green infrastructure. My name is Francesca Iacorto and I'm an advisory board member of the Pearson Centre. I'm also the Senior Director of Public Affairs at the National Airlines Council of Canada. As many of you will know, the Pearson Centre is a progressive think tank that addresses the big economic and social challenges of the day. In this context, I am pleased to welcome you to the webinar series on the big issues facing our society in the months and years ahead. Our ongoing project is called COVID and Beyond, recognizing that we have a lot of issues to address as we plan for the recovery and rebuilding that will be slow and long. This is also an important time to think big and reimagine Canada. Very briefly on the format, the panel discussion will last about 40 minutes and then be followed by a Q&A session with you, the audience, before we wrap up promptly at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Please use the question box on your screen and we will get to as many questions as we can. I also want to acknowledge two important sustaining sponsors who make these, these webinars possible. They are Canada's Building Trades Unions and the Canadian Association of Firefighters. So big thank you to both those organizations. We have a wonderful panel here today to address infrastructure and the economic recovery and a green recovery at that. They are Mary Van Buren, who's the president of the Canadian um, Construction Association. The CCA is the national association representing contractors and manufacturers service providers and suppliers in Canada. It is backed by 20,000 member firms drawn from 63 local and provincial integrated partner associations across the country. We also have with us today Sean Strickland, who is the Executive Director of Canada's Building Trades Unions. The CBTU is the national voice of over half a million Canadian construction workers, members of 14 international unions who work in more than 60 different trades and occupations and generate 15.7% of this country's GDP. I'm pleased to say that they've been sponsors of the Pearson Centre's work since we were founded in 2013. Last, I have to send regrets on behalf of Andy Fillmore, who is the Member of Parliament for Halifax and the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of um, uh, Infrastructure and Communities. He was expected to be with us today, uh, but uh, will not be able to do so because of votes in the uh, House of Commons. Um, so one last note, uh, I am very pleased to say that our moderator today will be Brian Gallant, who is a member of the Pearson Centre Advisory Board. And he is, of course, also the uh, 33rd Premier of New Brunswick and currently serves as the CEO of the Canadian Centre for the Purpose of the Corporation at Navigator Limited. So on that note, I will turn it over to you, Brian. Merci beaucoup, Francesca. Thank you all for joining us for this wonderful webinar, an important subject, of course, and two fantastic panelists. Uh, merci mille et une fois pour votre présence. Nous voulons entendre parler de vous. Alors, si vous avez des questions, s'il vous plaît, nous les envoyez. If you have any questions that you would like us to ask the panelists, please put it in the chat section and we will do the best we can in about, say, 35 to 40 minutes to get, some, to, get to some of your questions. Um, we are going to be, as was mentioned, talking about green infrastructure and creating jobs. I mean, right now, what other global event could we possibly be talking about? There's really nothing else happening uh, with, uh, with uh, all that is happening. 
it is still very important for us to talk about important public policy issues and green infrastructure and creating jobs certainly fits the bill. We're looking to have a robust conversation over the next hour. Uh, as was mentioned, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Fillmore will not be able to join us today, as Francesca explained. I have been asked by his office to uh, go uh, through a quick statement. So if you'll indulge me, I would like to just go uh, and give you that message. And I quote, I just want to extend my sincere gratitude to everyone who has joined the virtual conference today on green infrastructure and creating jobs. I know that the work that all of you are doing is helping to rebuild our communities during this difficult time. I also want to extend my gratitude to Mary Van Buren, Sean Strickland, and Brian Gallant for including me in this important conversation. Regretfully, votes were scheduled late this morning in the House of Commons to pass Bill C-9, which consists of critical supports for individuals and businesses during this very challenging time. While I cannot miss these duties as a parliamentarian, I am confident the panelists will have a fruitful conversation in my absence. I very much look forward to tuning in afterwards to listen to this important conversation. I would also like to extend my gratitude to everyone at the Pearson Centre, especially Andrew Cardozo and Francesca Iacurto, for organizing this event. I very much look forward to joining you in the near future to continue these critical conversations, which will help rebuild our economy and set the stage for the investments of the future. Sincerely, Andy Fillmore, MP for Halifax and Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Infrastructure and Communities. Alors, avec tout ça dit, nous allons maintenant débuter. So to start off, I thought we would start with a uh, sort of a simple question, but yet a very important one. Uh, I'd like the two panelists to maybe uh, give us a bit of a sense as to why it is important to invest in green infrastructure to start off with. Uh, so to anybody listening, what would you say to try to convince them to prioritize investing in green infrastructure? So to start off, I'll hand it over to Mary and then we'll go over to Sean uh, to get his response. Uh, bonjour à tous et à toutes. Uh, I will speak in English um, and uh, happy to take any questions in French as well. So first of all, uh, again, thank you for having me on this panel today. And I would like to reinforce the importance of investing in infrastructure, period. Uh, studies have shown uh, that every dollar returns 1.3. And so more importantly, or as importantly, it's really about nation building. It's about connecting Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's bringing our clean water. It's moving products and food across our roads. It enables trade and we employ 1.4 million Canadians. So we can't take this for granted. In terms of green, as industry leaders, CCA is uh, developing a climate resilience research paper and guide, which will help our members adapt to this new reality and modernize their business approach, taking, of course, climate considerations in mind. Uh, likewise, we will be developing a tool uh, which will help uh, promote uh, to the federal government and governments uh, how seriously we are taking uh, this important issue. And it's uh, an important opportunity and an obligation to update our infrastructure. Uh, much of it was built in the 60s and 70s, and it's in need of maintenance, repair, or reconstruction. Uh, according to our infrastructure report card from 2019, nearly 40% of roads and bridges are in fair, poor, or very uh, poor condition. And this uh, replacement and retrofits, it's about 19 91 billion dollars nationally so again it's a huge important to to use the green lens as we are uh, fixing up our um, infrastructure and of course the design engineering construction industry we're ready and able to deliver 
So we do support advancing the green agenda without compromising the urgent need to help Canadians and Canadian businesses uh, get back on their feet. And certainly important for Canada to continue on our journey, reducing our environmental impact. And we're mindful as well that as we uh, transition, um, there are economies that will and have been hard hit, such as Alberta and Newfoundland Labrador. So as a nation, as an industry, we value inclusivity. And in the construction industry, that means participation for all regions, all sizes of business, our underrepresented groups in the economy through a fair, transparent procurement process. So thank you for the opportunity to speak to this issue. Thank you very much, Mary. Sean, over to you. Uh, why should we be investing in infrastructure and more specifically green infrastructure? Well, thanks very much for the question, Brian, and very nice to see you again, Mary. And, and thanks to the Pearson Centre for this opportunity. On behalf of the 600,000 men and women of Canada's building trades unions, it's a real pleasure to be here this afternoon and share with you some of our views on infrastructure and particularly on green infrastructure. I would say I would echo Mary's comments, uh, certainly about the importance of infrastructure overall. Uh, we know the great multiplier effect it has in the economy, what it does to prime the pump, and particularly in times of recession, depression, COVID recovery, for example. So we, we really can't underestimate the value of making continued, uh, very important investments in infrastructure right across the country. And when you talk about green infrastructure, I think it's much easier to say than it is to define. Uh, green infrastructure is uh, quite a vast array of construction projects. You can look at it from you know, how you plan your community uh, in terms of stormwater management ponds, in terms of runoffs from roads, uh, how you plan these new developments to uh, larger projects, water and wastewater, for example. How can we make our water and wastewater plants more productive and more efficient, let alone talk about the amount of energy it takes to run a water and wastewater plant and the potential and possibility uh, for cogen facilities and different ways to, to make those water and wastewater plants more efficient. You can look at uh, energy retrofits for homeowners, energy retrofits for, for buildings. I mean, we have a vast amount of commercial office space, the future of which in the future obviously is going to be up for some discussion and debate, but nonetheless, we have this uh, fantastic stock of buildings right across the country uh, that can use some serious uh, upgrades and retrogrades in terms of uh, making them more efficient. Then you can even look at construction practices. You know, what are the construction practices that are going into place right now around lead platinum and lead gold and sustainability and net zero? And I guess that would be my, my final point and why it's so important for green infrastructure. And not only does Canada have international obligations through the Paris Accord, uh, but any reasonable person would recognize the devastating effects that climate change is, is having on, on the world and particularly in Canada as well. And so it's really important for us as a society to recognize the challenges of climate change and do what we can in a reasonable fashion to, to put green infrastructure to work for all of us not only in terms of creating good jobs, uh, but also in terms of protecting the planet and the livelihood and life of future generations. Well, thank you very much, Sean. You, you both touched upon the idea that investments in infrastructure and specifically in green infrastructure can help 
uh, economic growth and help create jobs. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that within the backdrop of the turbulent economic times we find ourselves in, obviously, with a bit of uncertainty, with the pandemic uh, slowing down the Canadian economy and, and the global economy. What role should investments in infrastructure, again, more specifically investments in green infrastructure, play in the economic recovery phase uh, and in the investments and portfolios being put forward by all governments uh, in our country? Uh, to to spark the economic uh, economic activity we want to see. So Mary, uh, we'll we'll start with you if that's okay. Sure, thank you. Uh, absolutely, the government must continue to prioritize infrastructure investment as the key to economic recovery. Uh, we were pleased with this speech from the throne, which did again reinforce uh, the important role that construction can play, and also wanted to highlight how the industry uh, demonstrated its ability to adapt and uh, to carry on construction throughout these very challenging times of COVID-19. Uh, sometimes the health protocols changed every day. And as an industry, as associations, our number one priority was the safety and health of our workers, their communities, and their families. And you know, we have a really good track record in working in, in difficult and challenging times. Um, the federal government also has outlined their commitment to investing in skilled training. Again, it's essential for uh, us to continue to, to deliver on the projects. And this is important for apprentices as well. We are facing a workforce shortage and we need the projects uh, to keep flowing. And we have seen some slowdown of that. Um, without having steady, reliable, predictable work, um, it is harder to keep those apprentices in, in the workforce. So uh, really important about that. Uh, we're also very encouraged about the announcements from the Canadian Infrastructure Bank and uh, their willingness to, to, to step it up more and to uh, help attract that necessary uh, capital to Canada, uh, which can of course be used for green uh, infrastructure as well. And just in terms of green infrastructure, there has already been a significant amount of dollars uh, assigned to green infrastructure through the Invest in Canada plan. And it is not uh, being taken advantage of. There's still billions of dollars that are uncommitted. And we must really urgently get this uh, money flowing to provinces and municipalities. Um, and part of the, the problem is that there seems to be a mismatch between how the federal government would like to see these dollars spent and how the provinces and municipalities would like to see these dollars spent. And so we really need to get that alignment between these layers of government so that we can uh, get these dollars flowing. And, and you can understand, for example, Saskatchewan probably doesn't need light rail. So again, there is money, there's commitment to it, but we really have got to get the funding uh, flowing. Another uh, opportunity um, is innovation. And what we often find is that it's the lowest cost, sorry, the lowest cost bid that wins. And that can somewhat stifle risk taking and innovation. And so we need uh, much more dialogue around how we can do that so we can advance the, the green agenda. And you know, we certainly uh, support all of the um, commitments to investing in you know, public transit, energy efficient retrofits, clean energy, the rural broadband, which is, you know, we saw through COVID-19 how dependent we all became 
on that broadband and so helping you know the rest of Canada have access to that really uh, important and of course water irrigation and infrastructure. Some fantastic points Mary including the idea that uh, we need to unlock some of the investments we would want from provinces, territories and, and other uh, communities and uh, I will just put a little plug in of course as, uh, as someone who's from New Brunswick uh, it, it, taking into account different sizes of, of provinces uh, different uh, different uh, abilities to invest uh, of communities is also important. Uh, so great points, Mary. Sean, both you and Mary uh, have mentioned some specific types of green infrastructure projects. So maybe talk a little bit about the, the same uh, question to Mary, the importance of investing in infrastructure, specifically green infrastructure to help during these turbulent times to get us to the recovery stage. And, and also if you wanted to maybe uh, talk about which types of projects might be able to help us the most with the economic recovery uh, I'm sure some of our listeners would love to hear that. Well, uh, thanks, Brian. I'd just like to um, emphasize a point that, that Mary made, and, and I think that's uh, uh, very important to recognize that the federal government has made a commitment. They have bilateral agreements signed from 2018 around the Investment in Canada Infrastructure Plan, and there's a significant amount of dollars attached to that, approximately $180 billion. And our industry right now is, is going relatively well in most of the provinces. We have some problems, obviously, in the prairies, Newfoundland and, and Labrador due to offshore oil and gas. So we have pockets of high unemployment, but this infrastructure plan is there and it's not being executed. Uh, there, We need to declutter the approval process between the provincial and federal governments so these projects can get into the ground and get started. And we are seeing some serious concerns expressed by the contractor community, many of Mary's board members, for example, about what the order book looks like for 2021. So if you were in central Canada and Ottawa or Montreal or, or Toronto, uh, you would take a snapshot and say, look, you know, construction's done pretty well, continues to do well. We were designated as essential workers and we have made all the changes, labor and management working together in order to keep these projects going. But if you are a private sector investment, any investor anywhere in Canada, how willing and ready are you going to be to make an investment in a commercial office building in 2021? Uh, how much are you going to invest in a multi-residential high-rise in 2021? If you're a manufacturer, what are you doing with respect to your investment intentions for 2021? There's actual data from Stats Canada that shows investment intentions for 2021 from all sectors for construction are declining rapidly, uh, billions of dollars. And, and what we are hearing from contractors is where it hits them is in their, is in their backlog. So contractors feel good and, and positive about having a healthy backlog of jobs that they're gonna perform over the next 12 to 18 months. Also jobs that they're gonna bid on over the next 12 to 18 months. And what we're seeing is those job opportunities and those backlogs are decreasing and decreasing in a serious fashion. Now is not the time for the federal government to hit the pause button on infrastructure investments, uh, particularly given this scenario due to COVID. So we need to encourage, emphasize, prod, push, whatever it takes for the federal and provincial governments to figure this out and get these dollars flowing into the community. So many municipalities who have, who have projects ready to go can get commitments from the provincial and federal governments to get the projects out of the ground. So this, this is a serious, serious problem. And in terms of uh, the importance of infrastructure uh, during a COVID recovery, 
I mean, the documentation and, and all of the information is there in terms of what kind of an impact construction investment can have in the economy. Like if you're putting, uh, you know, a thousand bucks a week into a construction worker's jeans, well, what's he going to do with that thousand bucks? He's going to spend it. He's going to make his mortgage payments. He's going to he's going to buy the automobile. Uh, so the ripple effect of making these investments in construction really has a positive impact on the economy overall. That has held true since Keynes and the Great Depression through the recession after post-World War II and also during the Great Recession of 2009. So uh, we get concerned at Canada's building trades unions when we hear from some federal and provincial government officials that we don't really need to make this investment in infrastructure. Your, your industry is doing well. Well, we are doing well, relatively speaking, right now. But 2021, when the rubber really hits the road on the economic impacts of COVID, we're going to have some serious problems. So I can't emphasize it strongly enough uh, how we need these infrastructure dollars to flow. Very helpful insights, Sean. So I, I really don't want to put uh, words in, in either one of your mouths. So I'm going to talk about what I'm hearing with regards to government investment and in infrastructure again a little more specifically in the green infrastructure um so, so just maybe let me know if i if i'm on the right track here and if there's other things you'd like to add which i think is the most important part of the question so when it comes to the federal government especially i think it's pretty evident that they have um, showed that they want to prioritize investments in infrastructure i think it's fair to say that protecting the environment and combating climate change is important to the federal government as it is important to canadians um, but what I'm hearing from, from both of you, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, and please add on to this, it's not so much the, the amount of investment that has been talked about, but it's really getting shovels in the ground. It's really getting that money flowing, working with the provinces, municipalities, trying to find ways as well, I'm assuming, from your comment, Sean, to get the private sector going as, as well in terms of infrastructure investments. Uh, so, so would that be the, the message you would want to deliver to uh, the federal government, probably any any government, because it does imply that you need the provinces and territories as well as the municipalities uh, and communities playing a role. So is that a fair comment, the way that I sum that up? And, and please add on, is there anything else that we need from our governments and specifically the federal government to get this going? So, so Mary, we'll go back to you and then, uh, and then we'll head over to Sean. You might be on mute, Mary. The... There. Now I'm on. Uh, now I can speak, but I lost my uh, there, video. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is the pandemic all all into one here. It's all good. Thank you, Mary. Go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah. So uh, very much echo um, what Sean has said, and and cannot um, and emphasize enough the the urgency around this. Uh, you know, projects take a long time to to go through the the design phase. The you know the tendering, and so. It's not like we can just put money today and have it flow. It can take the 18 to 24 months. So that, that's why we can't afford this lag. And liquidity issues can start to come in as well, where uh, particularly our trade contractors who take on the bulk of ramp up, uh, they could be find themselves in a hard spot where you know their backlog has been burned through. They haven't got uh, incoming dollars, but they're ramping up. So absolutely important. A another thing that the you know obviously the federal government can do is uh, its own requirements in tendering. So you know if it wants these buildings and retrofits, it you know it's in the driver's seat that way. Um, so that you know that would be very helpful for them to to do that. And part of that is also considering not just the cost of the build, 
but the life cycle approach. So it may cost a little bit more upfront, but they could get you know years, well, as, as taxpayers, we can get years of benefits from having a much more efficient structures. So certainly encourage the government to think about it more holistically, the life cycle of the asset rather than just the build. Fantastic points, Mary, thank you. And knowing, uh, given the statement that we received, uh, MP Fillmore, We'll be listening to this, hopefully some others in government. Sean, what would you add to that? Well, first I'd like to say that it's really encouraging to hear from the Canadian Construction Association, their support uh, on best value bidding uh, procurement so that construction projects don't necessarily go to the lowest bid and you take into account the total cost of ownership of a construction project. Typically construction projects are very transactional based and you don't often get the best value if you award it always the lowest bidder and so i think that that's an important uh, consideration in terms of looking at how we can improve upon construction procurement going forward uh, the other thing i'd like to add uh, brian when you talked about uh, covid and I, I don't think i can say it more strongly when i said previously about the importance of infrastructure investments uh, but we also have a challenge in the construction industry, Mary alluded to it earlier, in, in terms of attracting people uh, to the construction industry. And, and we need to get more people involved in construction. We need to have more apprentices. We need to get uh, more tradespeople into the construction industry. And, and from Canada's Building Trades Union's perspective, we believe one tool that can help us do that are community benefit agreements. So the, these are agreements that are attached to infrastructure projects where you set a target, not only for apprentices, but for racialized Canadians, for Indigenous Canadians, and so that they have an opportunity to get into the trades, get into the construction industry, and getting meaningful jobs. So even when you consider the, the various uh, groups that I mentioned that could have an opportunity uh, through construction projects to get a meaningful job, we also have women. Like construction is typically a very uh, male-dominated industry. And it's important to get more women into the trades as well. And there are examples of community benefit agreements that have achieved just that. And Newfoundland and Labrador on the Hebron uh, oil uh, rig, on the gravity-based structure and the platform, the construction of that, uh, they were able to have 15% women apprentices. 15% of the total workforce were women apprentices. Uh, that's a significant achievement when the industry averages 1% to 2%. So I think that's important to look at. You look at Nova Scotia right now, they put community benefit agreements into place. Uh, British Columbia, it was an, uh, it was an election issue. Uh, the NDP's in favor of it. They've actually created a, a, a ministerial department to look after community benefits. So my point on this is that while I was talking about you know, Keynesian economics and priming the pump and investing in infrastructure, we can do more than just be simply transactional. We can leverage those investments in, in infrastructure to help redress some socioeconomic disparities within our country and also solve, to some extent, the problem of getting more people in the construction industry. So, so I think there's a lot that can be done around construction procurement to, to leverage that investment in infrastructure and deliver even better good for most Canadians, deliver better value for most Canadians, and provide opportunities for Canadians who normally wouldn't have that opportunity. Well, th thank you for that, Sean. I, I think you made some really great points that I'm, I'm going to ask Mary to build on. Before I do that, though, I just want to say uh, at the opening, I 
called it a chat box. I'm being told that it's important for you to send it in the question box. So find the right box and send us your questions, please, because we do want to hear from you. So building on what Sean just said and also on a question received, um, Mary, what I mean, feel free to comment on what Sean had, had mentioned in terms of some of the ideas. And I know you previously mentioned the importance of being able to recruit and retain the, uh, the skilled workforce that we need. Uh, what can we do for other groups that maybe aren't as represented uh, in the construction industry? And obviously with the backdrop again of the pandemic where a lot of studies show, a lot of reports show that it will be tougher for women when it comes to the economic recovery uh, and some of, the, uh, some of the economic hits that we've seen uh, to come back to normal due to the pandemic. So, so a lot, a lot there for sure, Mary. But I'd really like to hear what what your thoughts are on how we can try to get some of these groups into the industry more. And obviously, that will help. I would like to think the industry, but also the economic recovery, be all that much fairer. Yeah, I certainly, uh, you know, King Construction Association agrees with the goal of increasing the diversity in the industry. Uh, we may not agree exactly on the, the same approach of having quotas on projects. Um, and, and this is because we believe the primary barrier is that construction is not seen as a career of choice. And so we need to work together to appeal to the underrepresented segments, the women, new Canadians, our indigenous people, uh, to see themselves in the industry and then to you know take the required learning and training so that we can hire them so for us the the issue is that they don't exist for us to hire so if you put a quota on where they're not there and in some cases the community benefits agreements work against it so if it was you know, local labor requirement well you not may not have enough of those types of people like in a smaller community. So that could mean, for example, you couldn't take a female carpenter from Toronto and have her work on a project in Aurora. Well, that it just doesn't make sense. So again, for us, the primary goal is how can we get more people into the industry and more underrepresented people so that we can hire them. And we've launched a campaign called Talents Fits Here, and we're very proud of it. And we are uh, showcasing and celebrating the diversity in the industry. You know, whether you're a skilled tradesperson or you're working on something like artificial intelligence, virtual reality, the industry has changed so much, and yet the perception is still somewhat old school. And that's another challenge for us as well in terms of recruitment is, um, you know, high school students are not exposed to the skilled trades. There tends to be a bias toward university. Nothing against university, I, you know, I have a degree myself, um, but it's not the only path to success. And so this is where, you know, working with CBTU and others, it's so important for us to, to, to work together. Um, there is a cost to community benefits, you know, Sean referenced the one in BC, and that's uh, costing another 30% uh, to build the Patillo Bridge. So uh, yeah, we just have to be mindful of what is the ideal approach to get to the same objective, which which we wholeheartedly share and we support. Our members are very active in their communities, very active in recruitment as well. Some some great points there as well. So we appreciate the uh, the sort of uh, 
very respectful and, and constructive debate, which is great, uh, and, and certainly what the Pearson Center is all about. So thank you both for the points. Um, we have some great questions coming in from the crowd, so we're going to go to one of, one of these. Well, I say one, we're actually going to combine three of them, which are on the same topic. Uh, so it's all about getting to net zero. So I'm just going to say the three because they're, they're, quite, they're quite similar. So Canada is meant to be net zero by 2050. What needs to happen to our infrastructure between now and then in order to meet that goal? Another participant asks, how can building codes be updated to better reflect a net zero future? And then the third question also on the same topic, what are some green building policies you hope to see in the government's net zero legislation? So essentially the umbrella there is what are the policies, what are, what's the advice you have uh, for governments, uh, what needs to happen with our infrastructure to get to net zero, one of the participants signaled out 2050. So uh, we'll start off, if it's okay, with Sean this time, and then we'll go uh, over to Mary. Sure, Brian, give me the tough one to start off with. So Canada <laughs> is meant to be net zero by 2050. What no. needs to happen to our infrastructure between now and then in order to meet that goal? And you can yeah. talk about building codes, or you can even talk about mm -hmm. other policies you would like to see the government implement. Yeah, well, and you know, it goes back to my opening comments in terms of how broad a playing field it is when you talk about green infrastructure. So, you know, if you're looking for some specific policies, uh, I think uh, it's important, and most governments have adopted standards for buildings. So standards for construction. So lead platinum, lead silver. Uh, there, you can also build net zero buildings now. There, there, you know, there's a couple of net zero buildings. There's passive house, there's timber construction. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of opportunities in terms of building our infrastructure to use more building practices and the constructability that will reduce the carbon emission from those buildings. And so what needs to happen is that we need to have government regulate, I wouldn't say regulation, but uh, a commitment to spend the dollars and put into place those, those standards. Uh, building codes are, you know, Mary would be more of a, an expert on that than I would be, but uh, building codes uh, are being updated. Uh, they get updated every three to five years, I believe. And so they're a little bit of a lag in terms of what's happening uh, in the economy and the innovation that comes into construction practices. Uh, but they certainly do get updated to reflect uh, changing nature of construction and, and, and the desire to reduce uh, carbon. So there, there's much that can be done in terms of the constructability of construction projects and the building code. Uh, the other thing, of course, is of you know the transition from using our car to light rapid transit. And so you know I, I'm not an environmental expert, but we all know how much uh, emissions come from our automobiles and how Canadians are in love with their automobiles and and how that also impacts our productivity because we're stuck in our automobiles much longer than we need to be in some of our large urban centers as we go to and from work. So having light rapid transit, uh, higher orders of tra transit, rapid bus transit, uh, convincing Canadians to get out of their cars and get into higher orders of transit is also certainly another way to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Thank you, Sean. I, I just have to say we we both in that, uh, in that little spiel uh, were using similar words where we're at the point we're saying constructive dialogue around constructability of construction projects so it's good we're really sort of honing in what this uh what this topic's about sorry if i'm um, repeating myself <laughs> no no i i'm the one that started the ball rolling it's all good 
Uh, so, uh, Mary, sa same question. Uh, what needs to happen for us to get to net zero in terms of building codes, policies? What can the federal government do? What do we need in terms of infrastructure? Yeah, and, and thank you, Sean, for uh, for answering first on uh, the complex <laughs> question. I appreciate that. Uh, so just a couple things. One is uh, what whatever the government wants, we can build. So that's not an issue that you know, comes from them, and, and we're happy to do so. Uh, incentives obviously are helpful when uh, you're you're trying out something new and you want others to uh, innovate so that would be helpful um, an innovation fund uh, we don't have an R&D fund dedicated to construction and, and innovation so uh, that would be great that could help spur you know especially with an emphasis on the green eliminating plastic on sites all of that would be great uh, there's also you know a lot of investment being made in drones in uh, invest in um, software, uh, unmanned vehicles, and and all of these tools help us to have a better, tighter design, and it makes sure that we have the right materials delivered at the right time, which reduces waste. So there's a whole opportunity in technology mm. and in how we work, and I think Sean had mentioned that before, like construction processes that can really assist us in in getting to some of those targets. Uh, in terms of the business co uh, building code, I'm not an expert in that, uh, but what I can tell you is that harmonization is essential. When uh, you know we're, we're trying to build leaner, we're trying to build smarter, and when each municipality, each province has differing codes, it does make it harder uh, for us to be as efficient as possible. So again, working together with the feds and with the provinces to harmonize uh, codes would be very helpful. It's uh, a great point, Mary, uh, and and also a very great point on the uh, innovation fund and, and looking into how we can innovate uh, in the industry. Fantastic! Another great question that we had from the audience: uh, What and, and we've talked about obviously governments talked about the private sector. Let's talk about a bit of, uh, of an in-between quasi sector. What role should institutions like universities and colleges play in training young people with the skills needed for green jobs? How can the government support them as well? So. We've talked a lot about uh, recruitment, retention, encouraging people to get into the sector. Uh, what, could, what, what could we ask of universities and colleges in terms of the role that they can play to help us uh, be able to accomplish what we're talking about here? So Sean, we'll go to you and, and then sure. we'll go to Mary. Well, I think universities and colleges certainly have a role and, and often they, they lead the discussion through their engineering faculties and planning faculties around best practices for uh, greening of the economy and greening of construction. So, you know, there's obviously work that could be done there in terms of also endowing more chairs and looking at this more closely. Our industry has, uh, from Canada's building trades unions, many of our our um, affiliate unions have uh, sponsored endowments at universities to look at this question around green infrastructure and, and how we can uh, better deliver construction projects in a more uh, green kind of way. But I'd also like to share that there's another component to this education system, and that is the 175 apprenticeship training system, training centers, 175 training centers that Canada's building trades unions through our affiliates operate right across the country. And, and while we're talking about green infrastructure, our industry has been training apprentices for over 100 years in Canada, and we continue to adopt, uh, to, to adapt and to change uh, and also change our curriculum and change our approaches in, in training these apprentices and including 
uh, addendums to curriculums around green infrastructure. So, so we have the capacity through our training centers, which there are over 175 on the coast to coast, to add to this reskilling, upskilling of construction workers right across the country. We've been doing it for 100 years. We're going to continue to do it. Whatever best practices come out, uh, our industry adapts and we train our skilled workforce to adapt and deliver those projects based on the most modern and newest technologies. So, so we can talk about universities, we talk about colleges, very important, but our industry spends a lot of money on, on training apprentices through our training centers right across the country. We'll continue to do so, and green infrastructure training is gonna be a big part of it. Uh, it's, a, it's a great reminder, and it's great to hear that investments and efforts will be made to, to train in the green infrastructure space. That's fantastic, Sean. So Mary, over to you. Yeah, thank you for that. I have a, a few points I, I wanted to reinforce as well uh, in terms of, of their role. And one is um, helping us with recruitment. So we want to hire underrepresented groups. Uh, so we need them to be through the system. And my understanding is that engineering uh, maths are still way underrepresented in terms of women, in terms of an Indigenous. So very hard for us to hire you know those engineers if if they're not coming out of the system so it would be uh, great if they would put more emphasis on on recruiting from the underrepresented groups um, also we need more places uh, in the colleges for training again if they have only funded for 30 um, and they, we want to grow the number of people coming through then they need more funding to do that and appreciate that the unions do play a really important role uh, as well um, thirdly it's outreach. So we can't expect these harder to reach communities to be coming to, you know, downtown centers necessarily. They're in rural areas. We've got our entire north. And so uh, that's who we want to reach out and, and engage in our economy. Then we can't use our old thinking, which is, well, they'll have to come down to, you know, where it happens to be. So I appreciate it. It's not as simple as that. There's a lot of hands-on learning that has to happen as well. But we really have to be creative in going out to the communities and, and getting them educated in different ways. And, and again, I know the unions have done some of the work. Certainly our members have done some of that work. But that, that would be a very uh, new approach. And the last would be staying close to business. At the end of the day, it's our businesses who are hiring these people. So to keep that close connection and for us to work better together on placements of students, the co-ops, the apprentices, uh, making sure that, that they are getting that experience and that they're choosing construction as a, as a career of choice. Fantastic. Yeah, go ahead, Sean. Let me add to that. Um, I think one, one of the, you know, we had this discussion earlier and, and the CCA and CBTU differ somewhat on uh, community benefit agreements. We're strong believers in its uh, approach to helping more Canadians get, get into the construction trades. Uh, but we do agree in the fact that we need, need to do more, the objective is to get more Canadians uh, in, into, the, in, into the industry. And I think one of the things we need to do is recognize, first of all, that construction, you know, it's easy to say, you know, let's get someone into the skilled trades, uh, but it's hard work. So you have to have that person who has the aptitude, the numeracy, the literacy, uh, and the work ethic to go to work. And, and the other thing that I would emphasize is that it doesn't, it doesn't start and stop with becoming a tradesperson. 
most construction companies in Canada are owned by tradespeople. There's a career in the construction industry. It may start with being a tradesperson, but from there you can evolve to an estimator, a project manager, designer, management roles, and even ownership of your own construction company. So, so there's a lot of hurdles that we need to overcome. I don't think it's insurmountable. There's a lot of hurdles we need to overcome in order to, to sell this career in the construction industry uh, to Canadians from coast to coast. Thank you very much for adding that, uh, Sean. Some, some great points. I have a question now that's about deficits. Uh, it's uh, a, a few layers of this question, so we're including questions from the crowd here. So it's obviously been argued, as I'm sure both of you know, by many that there is uh, an infrastructure deficit in our country. Um, so the first layer of my question is, is obviously comment on that, please, but also maybe talk about whether there is a green infrastructure deficit. And then uh, the third layer is, uh, of the deficit question is, uh, considering the governments across the country at all levels are going through, uh, as you can all appreciate, some financial challenges and strains and, and are facing deficits, are facing looming debts, uh, how can we still argue is the question that we should be investing in infrastructure to address if I assume that you'll say that there is a deficit uh, to address that while we still have the the more pure uh, financial deficit and, and debt. So, so basically a little bit to question one, uh, arguing the, the importance of this, but with the, the balancing act of making sure that we're also looking at our finances. So Sean, we'll, uh, we'll keep going in that rhythm. We'll go with you and then uh, we'll go with Mary. Okay, so you know it's well documented, the, 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 thanks for the question, the infrastructure deficit that, that exists in Canada, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities have, has pegged uh, quite a large number. Mary alluded to it earlier in terms of much of our infrastructure in Canada was built in the 50s and 60s, which was like the golden age of infrastructure in Canada. And for whatever reason, uh, over the past 50 years, uh, governments have not been as focused on maintaining our, our infrastructure as they needed to be. And now we're, we're dealing with, you know, well-documented examples of crumbling bridges and potholes and roads, just to name of a couple in our large uh, metropolitan areas. So. The infrastructure deficit is well documented and it needs to be addressed. In terms of the, the green infrastructure deficit, I think it's part of the same question. Uh, I think that we're, we're really at a, a, we're in an evolutionary arc here on green infrastructure. Well, we need to continue to invest in, in typical infrastructure projects that are part of the deficit. Those projects also need to be upgraded. So it's new projects and also existing projects need to be upgraded to reflect our drive to net zero. So certainly it's a challenge. And then when you overlay that with our fiscal situation and governments running deficits to help get us out of COVID, which, which uh, you know, from Canada's Building Trades Union's perspective, we were really pleased to see the initiatives uh, around CERB. Uh, we had a lot of members who were negatively affected for shorter periods of time. Uh, in the construction right now, it's still 9% less employed in construction right now across Canada than there was uh, pre-COVID. So uh, before we went into COVID, we had almost 10% more employment than we do now. So having that benefit uh, transform into the EI system ha has really helped. So we recognize the government's been spending money to help us get through COVID, and some of our members are, are, are beneficiaries of that. But I will continue to emphasize that the spending on construction, when compared to other government expenditures, 
is one that through time and time again has demonstrated the payback. The multiplier effect in terms of the jobs that are created. And the other thing that's important to recognize is that, that once you invest in those infrastructure projects and you put those people to work, they're spending, I think you referred to this, Brian, earlier, their spending helps stimulate private sector investment. So it's not like we, we have to continue to spend more money than we have on infrastructure and not get a payback. The idea is we need this influx of infrastructure to help support private sector investment. So when private sector investment rises again and invests in construction projects, then the government can take their foot off the, the gas a little bit. So I think that that's important to consider as well as we look at these infrastructure spending and the global kind of deficit perspective way more of a of an investment than a straight expenditure on a spreadsheet uh, fantastic mary yeah absolutely echo uh infrastructure is an investment not a cost and and we know that it's you know it's a it's a net multiplier uh Canada is not, uh, you know, an island, obviously, and we work in a, we're in a global economy. And as a nation, we want to stay one of the best places to live, work and invest in. And that means continuously upgrading, investing in infrastructure. Um, if you look at uh, the number of displaced workers who are so unfortunately hard hit by the pandemic, they need work, we can employ them. So keeping that funding flowing is absolutely essential to helping those people get good paying jobs. The other point, uh, you know, Canadians value healthcare education, you know, generally like one, two, or, or that's generally the priority. Well, we need our hospitals and we need to build those hospitals and we need to connect those hospitals and we need to build the roads into those hospitals. And so it, it's not like you can just somehow separate that out and say, we want healthcare, but then we don't want any of the infrastructure that goes along with it. So uh, again, it, it is that investment. And, and my last point is around roads and, you know, people are like, oh, well, that's, that's not very green. Well, if you look at in the pandemic, the number of parcels and shipments that came through the US, came through Canada, because people could not and you know respectfully were not going in out and doing shopping and limiting their groceries. We couldn't have done that without the uh, exceptional infrastructure that we have. And that that will continue. And if you look at uh, how much comes on our roads about two-thirds of all goods that come in from the U.S., everything that comes in from the U.S. comes in through our trucks. And um, about 90% of consumer and food flow through our roads. Many of our stores are on uh, just-in-time and our factories are on just-in-time delivery. So, you know, roads are essential to the, the heartbeat and the lifeblood of, of Canada. Um, but that's not to say there are no opportunities in smart roads, in looking at, you know, as we are converting to more driverless, to electronic, um, uh, to electrics, excuse me, the roads will need to adapt to that as well. And so there is a huge opportunity to invest in green infrastructure into our roads, modernizing them, making, getting them ready for uh, the, the new wave of, of transportation. 
Fantastic. We uh, time flies. We have just a few moments left, and we have really wonderful questions from the, from the crowd. Uh, one of the best ones I've seen. So thank you very much for the thoughtful, dynamic crowd that we have sending in great questions. So so we'll all try to squeeze it in uh, a little bit quicker so we can get to at least two, maybe even three. So this is an important one. I think Canadians are very focused on climate change, the environment, but also on inequalities. So this question has all of that uh, rolled up into it. Uh, in terms of retrofitting residential homes. Who should be responsible for the cost and how can we ensure low income Canadians can take part in the net zero future, uh, obviously with the backdrop of residential homes. So Mary, maybe we'll go to you first this time and go to Sean and uh, we'll, we'll try to go pretty quick with our answers if that's all right. Yeah, well, the Canadian Construction Association represents the commercial side, not the uh, residential side. So probably a question uh, better directed to my colleague, uh, Kevin Lee at the Canadian Home Builders Association. Fantastic. All right. Well, that, that that was quick. We like that part. Sean? Well, I think how low-income Canadians can, can participate if, you know, if they need a job, uh, certainly consider a career in the construction industry. So I think that's uh, something important to consider as well. Fantastic. I, I can tell you that when we were in, uh, when we, when I was in government, one thing that we tried to do was obviously get some uh, some rebates to help people be able to to participate in some of those programs. Um, so this is going to be a long question, but it's about innovation, and I'm going to try to go through it really quickly because it's going to embody a few. So it's really just about what can we do different. So they'd like us to comment on the inclusion of new technologies for carbon reduction. They give examples like a carbon cure technologies, new carbon sink cement, and larger wood framed buildings, the use of solar technologies in road construction. Another person was asking similar, similarly, uh, how is net zero compatible with hard to abate sectors like concrete and steel? Uh, and should Canada invest in decarbonizing these materials or in finding sustainable alternatives? So on both those questions, I think it's really about how can we do things differently? Uh, so we have uh, maybe about, four, about 45 seconds and it's a minute. So uh, Sean, we'll go to you and then Mary, uh, we'll, we'll uh, then go to you. Sure, great question. And we've touched on this over the past hour in terms of the innovation agenda and construction, and we're doing it uh, more timber buildings, uh, you know, to offset the use of concrete, which uh, contributes a lot to greenhouse gas emissions, uh, the use of drones, so you can uh, maximize the efficiency of, of uh, supplies coming to construction sites. So I would say in the next seven years, you're going to see more innovation on construction sites than you have in the last 70. Mary? Yeah, agreed. The uh, the adoption of new technologies is accelerating quickly. Uh, what we need are owners, you know, private and uh, government, to request that these come into the projects, and we are happy to build them. Um, we need to share in the risk. It can't be solely on the contractors with these new materials um, because you know there's a risk reward benefit uh, to it. So. Uh, we need to to share in that. The other thing uh, Canadian Construction Association has been working on is closer relationship with the academic um, groups, and we've just launched a new tool with Cognit.ca, and it allows uh, businesses to search for exciting new research and development that's happening at uh, our universities and colleges across Canada. So we're really excited to to bring that tool and to start building more awareness of of the exciting innovation that's happening in the industry. Thank you, Mary. You bolted very well in this lightning round, trying to get all these questions in at the end. So I, I very much appreciate that. Andrew coming on the screen is my virtual kind of hook uh, to, to, to get me off here. So we're going to let Andrew take over. Thank you both, uh, Sean and Mary. Thank you. 
You might be on mute, uh, Andrew, the, the sentence of 2020. <laughs> Okay, you can hear me now? We can. Great, thank you. Sorry about that. Uh, this is a wonderful business and labor discussion. Uh, thank you for doing this. Certainly having business and labor at the table is one of uh, one of the things we at Pearson really like doing. And, and I think today you, you explained why that is so important. So thank you for doing that. Uh, thank you, Mary Van Buren, for joining us for the first time. I hope you'll come back. And thank you, Sean Strickland, for joining us also for the first time. And, and, and a special thank you to CBTU for your ongoing interest in the work of Pearson. Uh, Brian Gallant, always good to have you and your experience as a former premier on this in, in, in your ability to, to work through so many complex issues uh, that, that make them in a way that, that we can uh, understand them all. Um, I want to say a word about uh, thanking Andy Fillmore, who was very interested in being here. Um, we, we do plan to do a follow-up conversation with him in the next few days. Uh, so please keep an eye out for that. And for all of you who were uh, registered today, we'll send you a notice on that. Um, I guess counting votes is the is the order of the day in the world. And so the, the House of Commons just couldn't feel left out. So they decided to count votes at the same time. And the thing about the House of Commons with COVID, it's a very slow process because they have to have each member come on screen to say, I vote in favor. My suggestion is they look at Georgia or Pennsylvania and find out how to do votes faster. Um, on that, I just want to share one more thing with you. Uh, the best comment I heard uh, uh, yesterday was, make America wait again. Anyhow, enough, enough of uh, American jokes. Um, I want to um, uh, uh, tell, you, tell the audience about the next webinars we have planned. On November the 12th, that's next uh, Thursday, uh, we have uh, we have a webinar on the U.S. election and the effects of the of the U.S. election and Canada. That's on November the 12th at 7 p.m. And in early December, we have two webinars. Uh, one will be on gender equality and the she session, part of what we talked about today. And the other will be on the growth of isotopes as a major uh, industry development uh, development in Canada and one of the things that can help in the economic recovery. All of these are in our overall theme of, of COVID and beyond. So with that, I want to thank our panelists again. And since the audience can't, uh, we can't hear the audience, I want you to uh, clap for each other as we thank you for your excellent uh, uh, performance and participation. Uh, there you go. Thank you to you guys. Thanks, everyone. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Take care. Bye.